Thanks for listening to the Petapixel Podcast. Catch new episodes every week on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Petapixel Podcast. It's your old friend Jordan here, joined by Chris Nichols and Jaron Schneider, as always. But there's an extra face here. What's going on? Uh, well, this <laughs> week, we wanted to bring in uh, our good friend Tyler Stallman. Uh, you might know him from his YouTube channel, his excellent podcast, and being uh, having strong opinions on all of the social media websites. Um, but I really wanted to bring him on uh, to the podcast because some people are unaware of this. Tyler is actually very important to the history of our YouTube show. Like 16 years ago, we were uploading camera store TV episodes onto the website, like barbarians, like you'd actually go to it <laughs> and they just had the files. That. <laughs> so Tyler went into my boss's office and he's like, why don't you just put these on YouTube and save the bandwidth? And they'd actually have a chance of people watching them. And that is actually how we went and re-uploaded the first eight episodes of the camera store TV. That's how we wound up with the YouTube channel, which is now our job and has led us to this magical moment. So thank you, Tyler. And over <laughs> the years, just think of how much money I saved you in bandwidth. I mean, that's really what you're thanking me for here. So you didn't have to pay those hosting fees over the years. Um, Absolutely. But it's funny, like that era, I remember there was sort of no differentiation between YouTube and Vimeo and Daily Motion. So there are yeah. websites where you just like upload it to one and then they'd splatter it across the web. So it's just hosted everywhere. And you'd be like, I don't know, hopefully one of them sticks. Yeah. Things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Vimeo was like, we didn't know which one was going to take off that one or YouTube. And now Vimeo is completely pivoted to a sep totally separate business model than they used to be. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, Daily so Motion still exists. <laughs> really? Oh, <for> some <laughs> I don't does. know why. Yeah. I, it's What's there. What's on it? <laughs> Going there it, I think it's done. sort of like the gray web of like, oh, the stuff that YouTube <laughs> pulled down, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just scenes from movies. That's yes. all that's left there <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, yeah pretty web. much. Perfect. Uh, well, we got a lot of news to get to. I definitely want to talk some tech with Tyler because he has been playing with a lot of the new developments that we've seen recently, but also we got some news stories. So Apple wants to take its sensor design in-house potentially. Uh, photo Mechanic, very popular software with photojournalists, is moving to a subscription model like all photo editing software. Uh, and also there's Chrono slow motion cameras, which is bringing affordable slow motion to the masses. We're going to run through the specs there and see if that's actually compelling. Uh, let's get into it, everyone. All right, we're back. Thanks again to our podcast sponsor, OM System. You don't have to wait until Black Friday to get huge savings on OM System cameras, lenses, and more. This includes a compact, durable, and feature-packed OM5 camera, which is just $9.99 right now. Now, over the weekend, we actually published an awesome film. Uh, OM System ambassador Matt Seuss, uh, he explored Idaho's stunning Sawtooth Mountains with uh, his OM5, super compact, taken into the backcountry. It's still rugged, fantastic sort of computational photographic technology. 
it's the class leading IP53 weather sealing, you know, the compact size that really made it fantastic for Matt while he was hiking, biking, flying in small planes. I mean, it was quite the adventure. You should definitely check it out. And uh, that was made with uh, our own Petapixel travel editor, Michael Bonacore. Beautiful story that he put together. Um, I haven't been to the Sawtooth Mountains. I mean, you've been to Idaho once, haven't you, Tyler? Yes, but not the Sawtooth Mountains. I mean, this sounds a lot more adventurous than anything I did. I was like at a resort. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We <laughs> were just in Idaho. Well, the three of us were, and uh, we did not get to the Sawtooths. Um, no. But we saw basically everything But I mean, else. if you wanted to add more to the itinerary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Idaho's pretty amazing. Like, there's so much to see in such a small state. Uh, like, unbelievable, the, the topography changes. But, like, watch the movie. It's very cool. It's very exciting. I think Michael did a great job, too, of, like, capturing a lot of the downtime. You know, like, they always show the drone stuff and getting the photos and all that and the epic music, driving four by fours. But he also caught a lot of the downtime of Matt just, like, contemplating what he wants to shoot next you know where where his mind is trying to get the photos he's trying to get and yeah the sawtooth mountains look rugged there's waterfalls like huge lakes it's pretty stunning stuff this is a very different video than we typically do on the channel so i like i really am curious what people's thoughts are on it if they would go give it a watch see what they think it's an awesome story you should definitely check it out it's a beautiful adventure watch the film if you love photography regardless of what brand of camera you're into you'll enjoy it uh go to petapixel visit the website click on the link in the video description below as usual it's uh, explore.omsystem.com slash petapixel and uh, there's all the list of incredible savings there as well for the OM system cameras it is a really good deal right now we talked about it last week on the podcast you definitely don't want to miss out if you're looking at getting an OM system system <laughs> <laughs> elegant at the end there uh, alright well th- thank you for that excellently read read there Chris what's uh, oh you know Let's move on and talk about uh, some tech stuff. In the news, uh, a report has come out from Bloomberg's uh, Mark German, who is particularly reliable when it comes to stuff about Apple. I get the sense that he's got someone in there. There's only, that's the only way to really make uh, make this many correct predictions. But he did a, uh, a story this week that mentions that Apple wants to bring more of the stuff that it puts in its phones in-house. And included in that, in addition to a bunch of other little things like the modem that they're using and they want to stop uh, working with uh, Qualcomm, uh, they want to bring sensor design in-house. And I wanted you guys to sort of explain what that actually means when someone like Apple, who does not fab their own sensors, bringing sensor design in-house. First, I just want to say, I can't wait for the like expose on what the deal with Mark Gurman has been all these years. Cause like he, <laughs> I think he just works at Apple. Like I, he, I, you know, is like, I think Apple tells I mean, it's crazy. Him. I think they tell him <laughs> like he, he knows, he knows everything. It's bizarre. So it, it'll be like his, out. his eulogy is someone from Apple will stand up and been like, okay, our contract <laughs> yeah, is Tim now Cook is there And he's like, yeah, yeah, he knows he did get all the skinny. Yes. He had the best <laughs> yeah. moles. Well, uh, I, I don't actually think that, but my take my take on this as the uh, the most uh, Apple obsessed person here, I guess, um, it's gonna be close. this is like this is just obviously going to happen. Um, but I, I don't think it's it's in any rush. I mean, I, I don't think this is even so much a case where Mark has specific information at all about any advancements and sensors on their end. I'm sure it's more just conversations and extrapolating what's kind of obvious to all of us. But with the progress they've made on the Qualcomm modems uh, tr- or attempting to replace Qualcomm's modems with their own, I don't I don't think this will happen anytime soon. All of this stuff is very difficult. 
<clears throat> and Apple needs to be able to do better than everyone else to, to be able to put it in there. They'd been working on these ARM chips for so long on iPhones and like they had years of runway first. They haven't done anything with sensors yet. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath. A little bit of background information on that. The, uh, the, you mentioned the Qualcomm thing being a sign that it's going to take a while. It's because they've been working on it for a while and it's been delayed further according to uh, these same reports. And they've also been working on another set of things that's been like 10 years in the making here and they still haven't made any progress on it. So I think it's, uh, oh, it's the, uh, the micro LED display technology that they were going to put in like their own uh, watches. That's apparently been something they've been working on for 10 years and it still is not ready. So <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, but they at least have the, it's in their mind that they would like to design their own sensors. Yeah. I mean, the big question for me is like, what is going to differentiate what Apple wants from a sensor from what all other smartphone manufacturers do? Cause they all want the same thing. Soak up a little more light, get the readout faster so it can capture more images when you push that uh, improve video performance, you know, like Nikon made some very, they were also saying like, Hey, Sony, here's a design of a sensor that we'd like. And they had some very odd requests for it. Like I think specifically about like the D4S sensor was a very unique one. Uh, there was nothing really like that, you know, D800 where they really figured out like, Hey, we could improve the base DR. You know, what is Apple going to request from, I'm assuming Sony that right. would be different from what they're that's currently weird. working to develop. That's the same stuff everybody wants. Yeah. Maybe Apple's just going to buy Sony. And uh, then they'll just own their entire sensor division. And then they'll say there are chips now. That, well, with all the other examples, like there's a really obvious pressure point of like, why, why does Apple want this? And you can see the path of like, this is what they're trying to do. And in the case of the processors, which is, that's the best example so far, right? The M mm -hmm. chips are just absolutely amazing and have changed mm -hmm. the game in terms of how the Mac is competing with everything else. And it was because Intel had a completely different priority to what Apple wanted to do, you know, putting uh, performance over power um, <clears throat> efficiency, which Apple has, I mean, that's what is amazing about the M3 and the M2 chips is it is just so incredibly performant per watt. It, it uses the electricity, it gets really well. And that's not what Intel was doing. So Apple wanted to, you know, go a different direction and also be able to keep a more regular re release cycle. Uh, with Qualcomm, there's a bunch of sort of political stuff between the two companies that wants them to move away. Uh, you know, they've had issues with um, NVIDIA in the past. So doing their own GPUs, like there's all these reasons that have motivated it. I don't see that happening with the photo sensor. I mean, Sony is doing an amazing job so far. So I think we'd have to see some kind of pressure point like maybe, you know, Vision Pro, there's something special about 3D or spatial video that actually could utilize a different sensor technology. But I think if it's just about better dynamic range, faster autofocus, uh, you know, the usual, if it's just getting better sensors, I don't think they'd move away just for that because they probably can't build a better. Yeah, sensor it's, it's not like Sony's doing a bad job at any of that. Like they're doing <laughs> the best job, which is why everyone yeah. outside of Samsung and a few others are using Sony. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to the next topic. I wanted to see what you guys thought. Photo Mechanic has caved to mm. industry, tr industry trends and is switching to a subscription model. They have not said how much it will cost. Uh, but that they just simply, I mean, they, they specifically say that they can do more with a subscription system than with people buying perpetual software. And by that, I mean, consistent yeah. income, but they haven't really said much more. Uh, well, I, I, this should come as no surprise, but people are not happy. 
<laughs> Shocker. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's the way it's going, right? And I, so photo mechanics interesting because I admit I have never used it. Me neither. And yet I hear a lot of working professionals who are like, I love it. Like I will never leave it. So. Have you tried it, Tyler? Have you ever used Photo Mechanic? Yeah, I've tried to use it to kind of escape the slow progress of Lightroom, not really utilizing the increases in performance on the, especially on the Mac. Um, you know, as yeah. the hardware got better, Lightroom's performance just has not at all. Like you pull up the little grid that says like how much GPU and CPU is being used as you export or import, and it's like nothing. I mean, it's just not. It doesn't push the machines. Um, so photo mechanic has done a much better job of just like being as performant as it can all the time. And, but I don't, I don't like using it. It's, I mean, it is, it, it feels very, um, like the nineties. I don't know. Like it, the interface is, <laughs> is, is ugly. Uh, and you know, it's really a, a utility. I, I, I get why yeah. people are attracted to that. It just like, doesn't, it's an added step for me and didn't end up saving me any time, but that's all reasons. I think it actually might make sense for them to move towards the subscription models. Like they will always be a niche product. They are never going to be competing with Lightroom. They're not going to be trying to take a piece of Capture One. They will always have a little corner of the market that loves them and is probably willing to pay quite a bit to keep using their favorite yeah. software. Um, and it is just much more sustainable. That yeah. said, you know, I, mean, I, I, can, I can complain about subscriptions for a long time. Too, <laughs> yeah. But for their business to keep going, I, I you know, I, yeah. I get it. It's a tough I spot. mean, in a, in a bubble, you can basically say like, yeah, I can see how a subscription makes sense. But when everyone is a subscription you get just really weighed down by that so our mm -hmm. our uh, our new our senior news editor matt grocoot he uses photo mechanic right now as a way to mm -hmm. embed captions more easily than we we have to do in our system where you put them in manually with each picture in wordpress so like him it's it been a huge deal for him to save time but he says he's not thinking that it's going to be worth the subscription uh, to to keep doing that, like he's just like I don't know, I probably won't pay a subscription. I'll yeah. I'll I'll just do the yeah. the captions manually next time. It'll be a little bit harder, but it's not like a, a major thing that's worth it for him to pay a sub, regardless of price. He said he didn't even care how much they were going to charge. He just didn't like the right. idea. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember with this is who it was designed for. Like, this is not really editing software. You can do some basic, like, cropping, sharpening, that kind of stuff. It's for photojournalists to get images out quick, uh, you know, like, quickly process even a raw sometimes, but mostly like just JPEGs, you know, get their metadata on it and get it out as fast as possible, um, which is, yeah, not something that's a priority for a huge number of photographers, unless that's your chosen field. It's just everything is getting tightened with photojournalists right now. So I could totally see editors not being thrilled that they now have an additional cost when, you know, photojournalism is already getting squeezed so hard. So they'll probably be running like Photo Mechanic 6 and their JPEGs through it for a long time <laughs> would be my suspicion. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, we, we talk about like the target audience, working professionals, but really, Jordan, you're right. It's, it's photojournalists and it's like working media. And uh, it's tough because you reach a point where you don't want to change your workflow. I, I don't know. I think I think people are going to give in to the subscription thing because they don't want to have to learn new software. I mean, they usually do. I mean, That's why they, people keep doing I know. it. People give in. But we know a lot of photojournalists, they're lovely people, but change is not something they really enjoy, <laughs> right? I mean, they like the gear that they're using for the last 10 years and they want to keep their workflow exactly the same. And I totally get that. So... Yeah, but I don't know. Natural evolution of the market. I, I know there's sense. a lot of people out there that have that reaction of like, be, just because there is a sub subscription, they would like to drop it because they dislike the, the business model, period. Yep. 
I canceled a bunch of subscriptions recently and just to like save money, I was like looking at the prices. I would just encourage anybody that's doing it out of principle to just try to have a little sympathy for the developers or a little empathy, I should say. And if the price is reasonable, because that's the thing is there's such a big difference between there, like there's apps that I've used that are like $20 a year, $30, like there's some things that are actually incredibly reasonable. And if you 100% can't afford, like it is not an impact, um, I think it's worth supporting a developer that's going to create the product that you use, you know, some things are very expensive, which is what I canceled recently. I downsized my Adobe subscription. Um, very you know, expensive. I, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that's like really expensive that I, I had to cut. How about your Netflix but I did it based on price? Like I canceled and re and then my wife turned it back on a month later. So that didn't last very long. <laughs> I keep trying to convince my wife to stop Netflix. I'm like, can we please? Because it's not me that has to be convinced. And it's, yeah. it is a battle. And then I've been they trying just to think drop a crown season every yeah, time you guys right. have that argument. Yeah. Say that. We heard you. My wife yeah. Everyone's wife is subscribes. watching the crown right now. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. What I've been trying to think of lately is, you know, maybe come up with like a total per year that, okay, this is what software is worth to my business every year. I can spend $1,000 on software. I can spend $2,000 on software because I make however many total thousand. And then just like decide like I'm comfortable with that being a recurring expense. Once it goes over that, I'll see what I need to cut. But, you know, some of this does lead to better product development. I don't know. I'm defending it all here, but I also, I don't want to... I cancel a lot of stuff too. So I get it. I just want to make <laughs> sure about people balance. are remembering why it's happening. Yeah. 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 Well, Tyler, I've, I'm actually curious. How would you like to be able to shoot at 30,000 frames per second for $20,000? <laughs> it's all I've been asking for. This is exactly what I need. <laughs> all your clients, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you can do that because apparently this is affordable. If you The uh, ability to shoot at nearly 30,000 frames per second with a new Kronos Q12 which costs only $20,000 is apparently a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I well, mean, the to, headline to frame rate is, is going to look horrendous. What was the actual resolution? I, I like believe it's like... 300 <laughs> by 400. No, 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 no that's, far, <laughs> that's far too high. No, no, it's, it's, it's like... I thought one, it was like 128 by 32. It is, yeah, it's 128 by It was by like 32. watching porn in the 90s or something. It was it's like, like a pixel vision. What was the thing that they shot part of Slacker on? Like the little toy that you could record yeah. video onto cassettes? Uh, it's like that at that point. But yeah, I mean... But you, you can get like 1,400 yeah. frames per second in exactly. 4K. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's pretty That's cool. very nice. Aside from the resolution, though, I was looking at these samples in their release video, and the slow motion looks great. The motion looks great. I'm sure this camera does what it's meant to. I bet it works great for especially scientific stuff. In terms of filmmaking, I'm looking at that image, and those highlights do not hold, like in any of them. It's not just the resolution. This does not have much dynamic range, which is a common problem with with any high frame rate camera. But I think that's where this, like, the budget aspect of this, this being cheaper, that's what you're missing out on. Like, it almost looks like there's no log profile, which I don't know if there is, but the images in the sample, unlike I, I wouldn't want to use those in anything I do. I mean, I think the thing we need to highlight right now, which is really topical this month is this is a global shutter and you highlighted Tyler, the dynamic range penalty there. I mean, this has historically been the (laughs) trade-off when we're looking at these kind of cameras and uh, yeah. And this is such a niche tool. Like I don't, how many people are going to purchase this when they say affordable? This is going to rental houses well, or labs. For anyone you know, who that's what it's, it's for. competing against a phantom, and phantoms yeah. can cost like they start around eighty thousand dollars. So the fact that yeah. you can get one of these for twenty when your other option is four times that—that's yeah. pretty compelling. Um, I think it's mostly for like science and just like what can what can you see at these higher frame rates and. 
yeah, you mentioned 4K at four, 1400 frames per second. I, I, That'd be fun. I think that sounds pretty great uh, for like <laughs> slow motion stuff. Just to, just to curious what happens. That's things that your eyes can't process at normal, like normal frames per second of whatever our eyes see. I could see some YouTubers picking it up, you know, for certain kinds of YouTube channels. I could see that where they might say a vision is like beyond our scope or we have to borrow it from the manufacturer or rent it like Jordan says. So I could see maybe some YouTubers buying it, you know, to do their stuff. But uh I don't know. I mean, was the footage on the vision that much better? I like all the stuff that I've seen from it. it again, it's it's not great. It's not what I would call cinematic. What like are you saying the I the mean, vision research is phantom flexes? The phantom? Yeah. Yeah, the phantom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 does the job. The goal is to show you what's happening at that frame rate. It's not supposed to look like a cinematic masterpiece. It's just supposed to show you. Yeah. And I think that yeah, then bullets falling in the hurt locker, that looked cool. You know, that's an early example of like 12 years ago, a version of the Phantom. Uh, I've come a long way since then. Yeah. Well, let's also remember just how good. <laughs> well, yeah. Think of how good like it, the Red Raptor, the V Raptor now shoots like up to 600 frames per second at 2K yeah. and will look incredible, right? Even that, like that, the resolution does not matter in comparison. The image out of the Red will look, can be cut into yeah. any movie, right? So, and that's a $20,000 camera that can do a lot more than that slow motion. So this is such, this is so niche yeah. needing to get over 600 frames per second. Yeah. If you know, you need it, you know, it's not, you know, all right. Well, but if you want to start the next slow it. guys channel, you can do That'd it be on fun. a budget. Sure, now, that's so true. There you go. <laughs> uh, I, I will find out. I, I, I doubt it. I don't think they need reviews, but uh, sure. I will ask. <laughs> If it's anything like a phantom, like they were very clear. I had a client who was looking for one and they're like, you basically have to hire someone who's been working with phantoms for a decade. These things are impossible to operate. Um, it's a very complicated <laughs> thing and the workflow and they're like, it's like 26 cables coming out of this thing. Uh, so this looks like it's a little more streamlined than that. So yeah, I'll review it. Sure. And cheaper. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's the news. Jordan, we did it, hey, guys. Take us into our next Holy topic. Fast. Yeah, I, Tyler. Yeah, because we've got Tyler on the show. It it's been for this time of year, a lot of like really exciting tech developments have kind of happened in the last little while. And what's cool is you have experience with a lot of them. Um, so, and just to run off a few, we've had the M3 launch, um, you know, the iPhone 15 making like real strides for filmmakers, uh, a little less so for photography. Uh, Global Shutter's been announced. I don't know if you haven't gotten your hand on that. He's holding no, something that's M3. That I sounds haven't. cool. Yeah. So that, that's what I'll have the most to say about. No, I didn't get a chance to use the the A9 III. So I, and I, I've only watched a couple little videos. So I'll, I'll have the least to say about that. But the, the Mac universe, a, a lot has happened lately. And I mean, I'm still talking about the iPhone 15 Pro a lot because it's just been so significant. Um, I'm actually using it right now for this video because now that it can shoot in log, you can get things that look like, you know, look like every other camera because you can throw a proper LUT on it. Um, yeah. so that's been a huge impact, but I don't know, gu guide me towards like, what are you curious about at the moment? So what I really wanted to narrow it down to is you are like a working professional, you know, you're doing client work, things like that. What of all of these new developments is going to have the biggest impact on your day-to-day -day life, you think? I mean, it, the biggest has already sort of happened, and that is the M chip uh, update. So 
I, I hopefully everybody listening at least has an M1. And if you do, you're fine. If you're still on Intel, this is the year. M1s are cheap, M3s are amazing, or if you're using a PC like Chris, that's also ex- acceptable. Um, <laughs> but let's. <laughs> It's okay for him. <laughs> you have like the same opinion but, that I um, do, Tyler, that if you already are in an Apple Silicon situation, you're probably good. I, I could make the argument that if you have an early M1, just like the baseline M1, the M3 is definitely still like, okay, there's, there's a, a notable jump here. Yep. But anyone still using the older Intel-based Macs are going to be blown away how good the M3 is. Oh yeah, I mean it. It literally changes all of your workflows. Like you, you don't need to create proxies when editing videos, and you can work on bigger footage, and you can do live noise reduction. And like the amount of stuff, it just cascades through all of your workflows. Everything's different now. What's interesting with the M3? So coming up to most recent news, the, the computer I have in my hands here that um, I haven't released a review of yet. Jaron, wave yours around soon. Yeah, is the the M3 Max, which had the by far the biggest update. So this is the most expensive M3 chip. But what what it's it's this interesting shift of like the M3 and the M3 Pro only kind of had moderate bumps in performance, like that usual like 10 to 20% in most situations. Some it was more, but um, you know, nothing crazy. It's like, yes, good, this is better. But if you have an M2, you definitely don't need to upgrade. The M3 Max like is blowing away the M2 Max, especially the M1 Max. It's, it's getting it's double better performance in most in a lot cases of than the M1 Ultra. Yes, exactly. I mean, and, and and even M2 Ultra in some cases, like it's just, it, there was this huge jump just on that one processor. So it's sort of hard to do this full review of like the M3 family was all released at once, but it's totally different stories with each one and what you're talking about. And you almost need to, to like break it down completely, which one you are considering. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, the, the, like the positive side M3 max is like, this is the year to, to get into it. Like, if you need pro machines, even if you have an M1 Max, this is not a bad year to upgrade. So yeah, I remember I Jaron was so excited coming into the podcast about like three weeks ago, like, guys, this thing smokes. And it, it is really exciting if you're doing like that heavy lifting and things like that. But I mean, to Jaron's point, right now I'm using an M2 Max and we were just cutting multiple 8k timelines or like last week we did the gfx 102 where i'm putting up 100 megapixel image sequences for an autofocus and i mean back in the day it would be like drop it in sit and wait even in playback it's like you're getting a slideshow and this thing just doesn't break a sweat so you know if if you're in that you may it might not be a necessary upgrade but if you're doing like you know heavy cg lifting and stuff like that then it's just cool that we're seeing this huge kind of unexpected improvement at the high end. What were you going to say, Chris? Well, we're cut. So I guess my question for Tyler, though, is first off, do you use any other computer systems other than Apple? You know, like I know you're firmly entrenched in the Apple universe, like because because where I'm going with that is it seems like Apple, we're talking about it in terms of being creators and you guys are talking about in terms of as your industry, this is the tool that you use to make your living and to do your stuff, right? But, you know, there's some talk now where I feel like Apple's trying to expand what their computers can do. They have classically been the professional's computer for video editing and for working and for that kind of stuff. But there was always other arenas they didn't touch, like gaming or, you know, personal computer stuff maybe or business kind of solutions. So does it make sense that Apple's maybe trying to make their system more versatile now? Do you see them branching out into other industries or trying to grab at other places? Yeah, I I mean, it's getting to the point where 
there are there's a lot more situations where I think it's strange to choose anything other than Apple. I mean, especially in laptops. Like, obviously, you're happy with yours, but when you look at the pricing of the like the base models, like the MacBook Air, the performance for the price is absolutely competitive with anything Windows is yeah. putting out there. It's not that Apple is the it's not the Ferrari of computers. You know, like it's it's the it's the BMW. It's the like it's it's solid. It's a sometimes more expensive, sometimes competitive, um, but like they really do have something for everyone. So it mostly comes down to a software decision. You know, if Windows is what you need, if it's what you prefer, then like that answers the question, right? But if you really are mostly looking at like performance and hardware, there are more and more situations every year where a a Mac makes sense. Then you're asking, I don't want to dodge the question of do I use other platforms? Not very often. I had a razor last year that was like pretty up to date. And I was like using it basically to be to see where is the windows Mm. laptop market at right now and what's it like. And I could not choose that over, over a Mac at this point, the speakers are infinitely worse. The, like the driver maze that you run through when you're trying to set it up, just trying to get things working properly and deleting all the bloatware and the cursor response, like physical trackpads on all the windows laptops I've tried are much worse. There's a lot. I mean, I do feel like uh, they were more directly competitive for a long time, but right now, especially in terms of laptops, Apple is really pulling ahead. And you you didn't even mention the fact that two things. One, Chris's laptop is loud as hell doing nothing (laughs) on standby. It's they're shouting at him. You can't hear it now because he's tuned his mic to it. But if you had to sit next to him for any length of time, you would suddenly like wonder why you're so irritated. Like you're just an angry. Suddenly you're just angry and you realize it's because this wine has been in the background crushing you. And also it's white white noise noise. generator. (laughs) It should be calming. It doesn't do that. It's it's ASMR. Um, Also, their computers. His is plenty powerful when it's plugged in. Yes, I was. That's where I wanted to go. Okay, so okay, well, here's so yeah. Rather than crapping on the arrow, the beautiful arrow, I know you guys love to do that, but I mean, <laughs> I guess the question is, what can you know? A few years ago, you'd be like, okay, Apple's great, but it can't do this. So, what can't Apple computers do now, Tyler? If I anything, mean, big three D stuff, you still just wouldn't choose it, or or a lot of AI GPU based things. It it's not the winner in terms of absolute power in terms of either CPU or GPU. Um, I think there's this perception based on even based on the way that I say things that like, oh, now Apple is, has the best CPUs because of their M system. But it, it actually isn't at the at the top of the line. Intel is still faster when it's plugged in and has a lot of power offered to it. And same with NVIDIA cards are, are better GPUs. So yeah, but like, look how big they are. If like that's you're, you're well, fi- yeah. physically I mean, that's more. It's becoming more and more specialized. Like you need to, to need that extra room. You need to be doing like real 3D, like, you know, not just adding a few things in After Effects, but you're creating whole worlds um, or you are uh, yeah, or big AI stuff where you just need multiple GPUs and you're just chewing through a lot of machine learning and, and things like that. But even in terms of some of the GPU intensive things, the shared uh, memory architecture of the M chips also means that on this M3 Max, I can have 128 gigabytes of both RAM and video memory that is accessible to the GPU, which you can't buy a GPU that has that much memory. So there's certain, this is an an Apple demo, they like to give it all their events, is like they'll open up some video project that they're like, this this can't run on any NVIDIA GPU. You can't open it all at once and see it all at once because it takes up more memory that is avail- than is available on any mm-hmm. existing GPU. So 
Yeah, but still, most 3D artists are, are going to use a PC. Yeah, I mean, I did want to touch on the power consumption. Like the practical advantage for me is, you know, when Chris and I are traveling and I cut a YouTube episode on our flight to New York. And Chris, <laughs> I'm like, I need some photos from you. I hope you can export your raw files as JPEGs and put them on a jump drive before this thing shuts down. I mean, <laughs> that's like the that. practical consideration <laughs> to me. Come on, it's not that bad. The computer unplugged can process images, okay? The battery life's maybe not great, right? I get about an hour, hour, 10 minutes wow, max. That is really low. The real problem, yeah. <laughs> so the real problem is like the brick takes too much power. So airline power plugs will not give out any wattage for them. Once you plug in, it's like, no, can't do it. Too much of a draw. So even though if there is an electric plug in there, 110 volt, I can't utilize it with this computer. So I am running without the, uh, the, the you know, I'm in battery saver mode basically to process everything. <laughs> and it is a shame because an airplane is the one place where your fan noise wouldn't drive me crazy because yeah. it's slightly drowned out by the engines making you soar through the sky in a large <laughs> oh metal object. I mean, we're, we're just at the point, like this is at the point that there's no, I can't defend PC laptops right now at all. Like I can't justify yeah. them for anything at all unless you need to game on the go well not even that anymore have you gamed in? on this have you gamed on them yeah it no, works I mean, it, well i wish there was more games yes. but that's what i was really hoping was going to happen at that event they were going to announce like oh and now gta 6 they, is they need to, to literally to, hand but, money to developers to port it yes, to yeah. apple that's that's the but you they're feel at. they're going that I, way i right? think they like, are. i yeah. feel they're trying to target yeah. that yeah there, uh, there's a demo they had at the event to lies of p that uh, i've been playing since and it's like you know, a double A or an A game like that has all the graphics you'd expect and runs perfectly. And like, there are a few more games. Baldur's Gate is a triple A game that runs flawlessly. That's true. Uh, Other than a couple weird GPU artifacts in some cases. Assassin's Creed Mirage is going to be coming to iPhone, which is crazy. So we'll see how that goes. Well, not to bore people who hate talking about Apple for more than five minutes, which I'm sure is a lot of people. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Jordan had on here that you shoot Canon as your primary camera system, a man after my own heart. Oh, here we go. And he wanted to know what your <laughs> thoughts are on what's going on with Canon, knowing the rest of the field. Sorry, I took words out of your mouth, Jordan. Yeah. I'm reading your own words that you put into our own thing here. That's okay. They were really elegantly written. So <laughs> anyone can just, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Such- uh, so, yeah. I mean, the big thing is app uh, Canon had a quiet year this year. There's been some lens launches, but uh, they have been a little quiet. So where are you at with the Canon lineup right now? And what are you really looking forward to? Cause I feel like uh, next year is yeah. going to have to be a bigger year for them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they did so well out of the gate with the R5 and the C70 that they've been able to coast for a while because they they were excellent, right? They were a bit ahead of their time. And I still feel like the C70 is the best in its class and its price range. And I love it. The reality of my year has been a lot more Lumix use. Um, the And I should also disclose that like they did this long-term loan program where Lumix kind of like has just let me keep using the S5 II for a while. So that's, you know, part of it. But I'm glad they did because I never would have bought it. I, wouldn't, I wasn't paying attention to what Panasonic was doing at all. And they were like, here, just try this out for a while, see how it goes. And I'm shooting most of my videos on it, like all the time. The C70 is basically my A-roll camera stays set up on the tripod. But everything that's on the go, anytime I'm traveling, a lot of the B-roll, I've been shifting towards Lumix because it's so much more flexible, so much more video and, and hybrid forward. The R5 is still going to be my choice when like the, the 
final stills really matter. Like I need all the resolution. I just need it to look perfect because the S5 II is only what 25 megapixels or something. So, yeah. um, the, you know, the, the Canon has the like raw quality, but the convenience of shooting and the speed of, of being able to acquire both photo and video together has been just kind of better in the Lumix world. So I've, I've been using it a lot and I don't know. Canon's going to have to do something next year to, to make me, you know, want to, well, what would they, the C70. what would they need to do? What would you need Canon to do next year to be like, wow. And you can that, put the yeah. Lumix down. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's easy to me. It's like, they need to be, they really need to be where Sony is. Cause you know, Sony and Lumix are more direct, like Sony is ahead of what Panasonic is doing. Like the best cameras are Sony. Why Lumix is leading in its field is the price. Like it offers mm-hmm. more in a much more affordable price range. Um, but this is, I think Sony is doing the best hybrid job right now. So if there's a Canon that can kind of be like an A7R5 or, you know. So you like, want resolution, I, I get, more resolution. Well, no, I don't want more. It's, I want it to be a good hybrid camera. Okay. Like it, yeah. the R5 is not good at video. That's my biggest That's frustration. That's like true. it's total afterthought. Even That's what I even, love about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris what, is what, saying I, the role of the internet in this conversation. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, it's just like I, I put it down because it's like, well, it's bigger than the the Lumix, but the like literally the video looks worse. It only shoots to C-Log 3. Um, you know, it's very sharp, but the dynamic range isn't really there. Don't you love the C-Log 3, Jordan? Off, even just a little bit. No. It's super noisy. He doesn't like C-Log 3. Yeah, yeah it tries to be crazy. I don't like C-Log. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's my so that, that's where they have the furthest to go. R5 needs to just be competitive with the other hybrids right now. Um, and then on the, on the cinema side, I think they probably, like, I do think the C70 is still really strong. I prefer it to like the FX6 or, or you know, what Sony's doing on their cinema side. Um, and it's still even kind of giving like red a run for the money. Like that gap is starting to close between the high and mid end. Um, and I bet, I kind of bet they'll have some kind of follow-up sequel to it. There's been rumors of a box camera, which would, be huge if there's like a c70 style box cam you know i, th- I think that eat into red and black magic even further um so I, I don't think they have anything to worry about on the cinema side it's the still side that i'm like nah mm. yeah what'd you think of the new uh, glass announcements i don't really care about th- i wouldn't so you the, the 24 that, to 24 to 105 meh no, yeah. I mean, I it's cool it's cool. Like it's a neat uh showpiece of like here's what Canon can do. And I I like having those absolute top of the line, you know, best in the world cam- uh, lenses just to look at, but I w- I just would never bring it with me. It's so big and the range isn't that I mean, it's just not crazy enough. Like I I'm comfortable with 2.8 and something that's really really excellent and then, you know, I I'd, I'd rather ha- well, f- for my th- this is all about like how do you shoot, right? For me, having like a couple zoom lenses and one fast prime is just more flexible to, to how I operate. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're great that somebody wants to use it. I just like, it's never going to be something that'll be in my kit and the prices. (laughs) (laughs) I had a question about, um, you know, on this, on this sort of video topic. So I'm using the iPhone 15 pro max right now and I am liking it. Absolutely. I'm contemplating using it for more video applications, Tyler. So I wanted to ask you, have you tried that whole thing of like putting it in a cage, attaching microphones, you know, ND filter solutions and, and what kind of app you're using to then control the video? Have you, have you explored that yet? Well, I am so glad you asked. Um, so right now I'm running through the USB-C out into uh, basically just like a normal I can't lift it up. Uh, like USB splitter that has an HDMI out. So you're like watching 
the iPhone 15 Pro through the Blackmagic. Wait, this is the iPhone app. right now? Yeah, mm-hmm. oh. yeah, it's been the iPhone. So it's in log with a LUT on it. So that's why it looks like pretty normal. Yeah, you this fooled just me. Like a, yeah, it's like, a, a you know, a LUT I just I developed and resolved to try to match my other cameras just so it kind of like feels like a normal camera. And that's what log can do now. It's crazy. And this is just the clean feed out. I mean, I didn't do anything special. And I like it blows me away too. I'm like still kind of excited about it. <laughs> the big problem is now I can't change. Like I've been looking at the white balance and wanting to change it the whole time, but I can't reach behind the camera while I'm recording. Um, <laughs> so there's, you know, it's not, it's not as perfect as right. a bigger camera sometimes, but you can do the things that you could do with the traditional camera now. So I haven't rigged them in a way that makes me happy carrying it around, carrying it around now. Um, I think usually you would, st- if you're going to rig it up, you'd still use a traditional camera except for like professional TikTokers. I think there's a huge market for people that are Instagrammers, like people that, and I say professional, I mean, I know people are kind of laughing, but there's a lot of people whose yeah. job is to create vertical content that is seen by millions and millions of people and it needs to look good and sound good. Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm sort of like focusing my efforts and I'll be, I'll have some announcements about that soon about how I'm- Are you recording internally like- onto your phone? Um, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Was I supposed to record a backup? No, <laughs> no, no, no. This is uh, perfect. No, no, I mean just yeah. in general. No, no, for this video is just work. a clean HDMI out. That's all it is with with one LUT on top of it. And I could have switched this for like a more cinematic LUT as well. Like you can really, you know, dial in the look. Right. But the difference between this and if I was doing like the regular camera out, maybe when someone else is talking, I'll switch to the other camera so you can see the difference. It's night and day. Like it does not look like no the traditional switch, switch now. Camera. Well, watch. I don't. Okay, I don't. Okay. I don't mind if it's, <laughs> if it's funky. I'm just Where's curious the, what this. If happen. you're listening, pull over and pull up YouTube now and uh, <laughs> and enjoy this visual. But also, somebody else talk for a minute while I troubleshoot. Well, okay. So that was entirely my fault. I need to apologize to everyone. Uh, I asked. I asked Tyler to do something, and that was bad. Uh, <laughs> everything died. Uh, like literally everything, everything, his headphones, my headphones stopped working. <laughs> so uh, stopped working in his building. It was nuts. So don't, don't change your source, uh, on a Riverside podcast. Mid recording, <laughs> mid recording, uh, or you bork it. Um, so anyway, we're going to, we're just going to move to the final thing that we're going to talk with, with Tyler about. And I'll let, I'll let Jordan loop that in. Yeah, I'm just curious. When we were at the camera store, I bumped into you the other day, and you're like, "I'm thinking it's time that I had a Leica." And I know you've been messing around with one, so I just want to know. Like we've talked about, like cutting edge tech and things like that, where Leica is almost as basic as things can be. How has that experience been for you? Well, yeah, I mean, first huge thank you to Chris and Matt, a uh, local photographer, who lent me his original Leica Q for. It's been about a month now. And I should have given it back to him yesterday, but I didn't. <laughs> and I have actually been very surprised how much I liked it. I thought yeah. I would have more of a, because it's an older camera. Too. Like it's, it's not even the Q3. It's not the current one. This is out a while ago. And I'm like, you know, I, I'll, it'll feel like a struggle. Like I'll end up having to use manual focus because the autofocus won't work well enough. And the sensor is old. I don't know, whatever. But it was great. It was actually great. The images came out really well. The autofocus was totally Better than I expect. It worked fine. I wasn't missing shots. And this is the older one. It doesn't have any face tracking, doesn't have any mm-hmm. of those kind of issues. And there was still something special to the images. Yeah. And I'm a big skeptic of like, I'm sure some other camera reviewers are listening. When people are like, this camera has something special to it. So often I'm like, that's not the camera. Like you're just, it's your choices, you know, unless you're shooting to <laughs> JPEG. Most raw images just come out 
basically like, you know, a Lumix and a Canon and a Sony, like they're not significantly different once you've really done anything to the raw file. It's more about whether using Lightroom or Capture One will make a bigger difference. Mm. But um, there's something that like sticks with the Leica, even the raw files where it like kind of, it. I think of it as like, there's this gravity to the shadows where it wants the shadows to be deep. And there is just kind of always this rich contrast to it. There's just all these elements to what the image looked like that I was like, you know what, this is, it does still feel special um, in ways that I didn't expect, even though, you know, it's a Sony sensor there, there's no magic inside any camera, but it looked different and it was an absolute pleasure to shoot with. So now I want to try a newer one, but uh, I haven't yet. There's, there's none of them around. That's the issue, right? Jump on that waiting list and hope. Uh, But do you think you're going to do that? Are you going to go Q3 or two or? Yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking about getting, I'm going to go on a waiting list for the Q3 at least, and then decide for my birthday next year is basically when I'll like, uh, you know, pull the trigger or not. Um, but you know, at the same time, like what, what makes it hard for me to pull the trigger on is that it still isn't a luxury really, you know, it's not going to be able to do anything that my Canon or Lumix can't do. I just want it to be with me more often. Like I really enjoy packing it. Um, it's like, there is such a significant difference when a camera feels good to you. Mm -hmm. And for a long time now, you know, Canon, Lumix and Sony are just not sexy. Like I don't, I don't get excited to like, Oh, I can't wait to get this out. Except for when it's new, when the camera's new, I'm excited. But like after a while, it's like, uh, you know, I'm sort of over it. Fuji and Leica are the only two that I'm like, and in red as well. Like Mm -hmm. every time I pick it up, I'm like, I want, I want this to be close to me and I want it to be with me all day long. And that's a great (laughs) feeling. That's like what kind of makes you shoot more. And, um, I, I just think it's an underrated aspect of cameras. It's just like, does it feel nice in your hand? Do you want to have it around? So that's been, that's been huge. Totally. Chris, All right. you've used them more than I have. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I agree with, uh, with what you're saying about the color and, and the sort of look of the image. And it is strange because it does carry through the raws and there's just something about it. And it's just on the edge of imperceptible and it's beautiful. And it's, you know, you could talk about the M series, how, okay, they give you a completely different shooting experience, which is totally valid. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we talk about them that way. And this is one of the reasons why I buy it. You could argue that the Q series, you know, operates like a lot of mirrorless compact cameras. So it's not so much the shooting experience is different, but the files still have this quality to them, which I haven't seen replicated on other camera brands. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. Chris, should uh, I consider the M series at all? I mean, I'm really leaning towards the Q. I like having autofocus. Um, The the thing I think about an M is like, well, now I'm building, I'm going into a system, you know, maybe this will last me longer in total. I don't know. What do you think? I would buy it because of the shooting experience. Like I've always- The M or the Q? The M, the M, Uh, you know, because of the unique shooting experience is really why I'd still buy it. But it's like, for so many years, I was I, I wasn't against Leica, but I was sort of in the crowd of like, okay, yeah, but it's expensive, and yeah, but it's like slow to shoot, and yeah, but it's like an archaic way of of doing things, and you're paying way more money for essentially the same technology that you get in a Sony or whatever. And and the more that I've been using the Leicas, especially the M series, the more I'm like, oh man, this is starting to like you get it, speak to me, and it's starting to pull on me, and I'm starting to really kind of like have a ton of fun when I'm using them, and and enjoy not just the results but the actual act a lot more. And then I'm like, as cheesy as it sounds, I'm like, well, that starts to get you into 
kind of priceless territory. You know, like that's where you start to be like, ah, I could see why you would spend thousands of dollars, even if it's not state of the art, the latest camera, even just getting an M8, you know, like an old school M8.2 or something like there's there. I see the appeal and it's not for everybody, but it has grown on me. I will. I uh, still can't afford one. Me neither, but I'm going to back Chris up here at the risk of sounding like a Leica shell. Um, There is the M series changed a lot for me. Uh, It made I am so burned out on being a photographer from having to do it as a job for so long that it was really refreshing to be like, I want to take pictures. Right. That's very weird. I haven't felt this in a while (laughs) and I still only feel it. When I'm holding an M series, I don't even, I don't personally like the Q. I, I, I that's just, me. I know I'm, I'm going to, I know I'm, a, I, I never really liked the Q Jordan, series. Jordan, it's okay. Forgive Jordan him. is aghast that I would dare, <laughs> but like, uh, M series. And I think it might yeah. actually specifically also be M series optics are right. what really get me. Like I look at those pictures and my heart goes, Ugh. they're not even that good. You know, not from a not from a scientific level. It's it's they're actually like arguably not good, but there's <laughs> no. something about them. Yeah. The feeling of oh man, it's hard to replicate, and I can't. Jordan seen like me either. happy three times in my life, and one of those times was using the M6 in Germany. So yeah, it's uh, not even digital, right? Like it, it's just, anyways. Yeah, yeah I also get right that now. feeling with film point and shoots, which I try to bring around with me a lot of the time. Yeah. And actually, I really, just to touch on another camera, you guys just dropped a big review on is the GFX uh, 102 that I re- I actually felt really good with that too. And mm. there was a moment where I was like, do I need this? And the only reason <laughs> I'm not is the size, especially with the lenses. The lenses are very big. Yeah. I really enjoyed shooting with it though. It felt nice and it like slowed me down in a good way, but could still keep up. Um, you know, F- Fuji is in that same world of like, it feels good. Um, but it doesn't quite hit the right balance that, that the, the, the Leica mm-hmm. does. Uh, there's something special. Well, not to, uh, to force us on, but there's so much to cover. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move the cart forward. Uh, we're going to move on to what have you been up to? And this is, I'm going to start with Tyler because Tyler, this is your opportunity to promote yourself. What are you working on? Oh. What do you want people to know? Uh, how, are you writing a book? Stuff like that. Like, you know, <laughs> give well, us what you're working on. The moment... Before we started recording, I just dropped a new video about what's on my iPhone 15, so people can watch that YouTube video. And um, the, the the big thing I want to work on for next year, if I'm going to promote anything, is like I just want to be able to offer some more products, some things to sell, basically to be able to focus a little less on um, sponsorship revenue model on YouTube and like offer products that I think are useful for people, especially making films on their iPhones. So uh, I've got a series of LUTs right now that are pretty good and I want to make them amazing next year. Mm. And also um, some hardware stuff that would also tie into that. So I've got a few things on the go that I, None of it's ready yet. I just want to tease everybody that keep Ooh, uh, keep an eye. Subscribe nice. and next. Year I would test be, out uh, any LUTs that you want me to try. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm gonna I want to focus on shooting more video on this this year. I mean, that's I the like thing. the like, LUT you sent me, even the very early version of the right. IPhone. Yeah, yeah, that, used was, that for some that product shots. That was the beginning of this, the one that's out now. Um, and the everybody is going to start shooting log now. Like people that like filmmakers have been using log since we got 10 bit. And even before when we were on 8-bit, yeah. we shouldn't have been yeah. using log. Yeah, c- correct. I was about to say, even when we shouldn't have been, I <laughs> yeah. was shooting in log. 
but now it's going to be everyone. Like anybody yeah. that's even curious about filmmaking will at least be experimenting with it. And if you just like, if you just try the default way that Apple presents to you, you'll get results that aren't that exciting. They're not that different from a regular iPhone. If you go through like the proper color managed workflow, like an iPhone can look like an Alexa in some yeah. situations. So uh, yeah, I basically want to offer solutions on, on how everybody can achieve that. You mentioned uh, stuff that's different from the traditional sponsorship. One of my goals for Chris and Jordan next year, and I'll be definitely helping with this, is Do we have to lose doing weight? the same. No, <laughs> gain weight. No, he wants here. us to get sponsorship by, from Gundam Bandai Products. That would be awesome, but also no. <laughs> uh, I think we should. We, we're we're going to look into merch as well. So that's that's on our our horizon too, for sure. But probably not as cool as yours. Yours sounded actually useful. Ours is going to be silly. <laughs> merch is useful too. Got to wear something <laughs> when you're on a podcast. Um, so uh, Jordan, I, I want Chris and I to go to last because Chris's is about his feet, uh, and mine <laughs> is about my hobbies. What what are you? What have you been up to? I I finally finished Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. That's been my accomplished this week. So I went back and Jaron, you, we did a podcast back in June where you were like, I have finished this and I picked that game up on launch day. And only now have I finally, with my <laughs> wife watching reality TV at the same time, so I can just focus on getting through it. I have finished a video game for the first time in a long time. The end is really fun. Uh, maybe the final thing even, a little easy, even the, but it was a delight. Yeah. The begin like the, the 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 yeah, it wasn't hard. It was just like exciting. It's fun. And yeah. the, the the mid the midpoint where you have to do stuff is also like very heartfelt. So it's all, it's all good. It's all very yeah. good. It's great no, when your main character says no words and you still feel emotions. Yeah. I know I said before breath of the wild is my favorite game I've played in the last 10 years. And I like this one more. So I guess this by default becomes also, I'm not playing many video games, but yeah, real pleasure. I'm just piggybacking on the opinion that's already out there. Very late. <laughs> nice. Okay, Chris, I'm going to have you go last and cause mine's very okay. easy. Uh, I got multiple, comments in the last podcast that people wanted to see my gunpla. Right. I will show you all one gunpla. If you're this on is, YouTube, this is going to be compelling. Yeah. Uh, I will describe it for those listening on, only. This is the <laughs> ZGMF X 108 freedom piloted by Kira Yamato from it's like a porcupine Gundam seed, which is the best Gundam. I don't care what anyone... I'm going to get some people who are going to snap back at me that I would as say As long that. as teenagers are saving the world, I'm happy. I they just are. want more teenagers He's, to he save the world. He is a traumatized teenager. Perfect. They bearing the burdens the of, his, of his parents' mistakes. That is Gundam. Anyway, this is my I have favorite no Gundam. clue what's going on, and I love it. So good. Anyway. I've got a Buster Gundam around here somewhere. It's in pieces oh, right now. I don't know. Buster. like it. Yeah, and I, I get heavy arms around here somewhere, too. <clears throat> All right, Chris, let's talk about your feet. I don't want to talk about my feet. So <laughs> I didn't, got, I didn't choose to, just so you know, I didn't choose to talk about my feet. Jaron's like, you're talking about your feet. You today. pulled well, out the ski boots and asked yes, for help. You, and you asked, amazing listeners Correct. and viewers came through like Outpouring. I've never seen before. The yeah. percentage of comments about your feet and attempting to solve your, uh, your, yeah. your pedotic, pe pe your feet problems. Pe I'm trying to use the doc, whatever. Pe podiatric needs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They want you to fix your feet. And there right. is a lot in there that you should listen to, apparently. So what this has taught me is I'm going to take pictures of my feet. And I'm going to sell them online because there's, there's a website a for that. 
I'm gonna make <laughs> so much money. We could do we could do foot foot like foot photo merch for this the channel. That's what I'm gonna do. I don't know I, I appreciate your foot on. I appreciate shirt. all the comments. Um, and it's tough, right? Because it, the the pain for me is actually in my arches, and there's lots of advice. Be like, oh, maybe it's your heel and stuff. I, I think maybe the general consensus is my feet don't like to be compressed. A lot of people are saying go looser. I could try these things, but like nothing's worked for decades. I don't know. We'll see. But I appreciate Tyler Yuski. Tell tell Chris solve his problem right now. Uh, <laughs> snowboard instead. Yeah, oh. I, that that was actually multiple comments did say that. <laughs> yeah, you and that's that's kind of where I'm at it. But it anyways, puts, what yeah, I did I mean, last it does, week, so it puts the pressure in different places. Like it moves it up to your ankles a little more and away from your yeah. feet. Go on, Chris. Oh, so I, you know, I got my tea set here. Not that I'm using this particular tea set, but. Uh, Jordan will attest to this. I used to drink like a crap ton of Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, whatever. Oh, you were one of those. Oh, Oh, in in the lunch break room, he at a certain point, he was just like, well, it's wasteful for me to be getting small compact containers. And I'd walk down and he's just chugging a two liter of Coke. (laughs) Yeah. And it looked like he had a problem, even if he claims he was rationing it. (laughs) My main caffeine stream. So I've actually cut out a lot of that. I only have it at restaurants now and I don't do it daily anymore. So I'm drinking lots of green tea and uh, the memes are right. I mean, uh, I've cut out... uh, Diet Coke and my joy has dropped thirty percent. So that's uh, that's totally. So we don't recommend great. this. Um, <laughs> but uh, and I don't feel any better. I don't feel any healthier. I, no, that's all garbage. It hasn't revolutionized my life. It hasn't you know given me tons of energy. But I'm drinking way less caffeine than I normally do. And uh, we'll see and you're happens. miserable. So I don't know if we can really plug the life. <laughs> yeah, is this a life hack? <laughs> yeah, doesn't, doesn't sound like it. Is a life hack? Yes, to, to all right. drop your joy. We have the largest backlog of uh, tech support and comments that we have encountered this year. And, and we're not going to get through it today. <laughs> and no, we're not, but we're going to try. <laughs> so we're going to start with tech support. Hopefully all three of you can lend your mind powers to answer some questions. The first one is from Casper gotcha. Steinsland, who emailed us and asked, I'm in a situation where I need some expert opinion slash information regarding the differences between JPEG HDR images and conventional RAW. The question mm-hmm. is, what are the differences between JPEG HDR and RAW in technical terms? When working professionally, that makes a living on high-end hotels, restaurants, and venues, which option should you go for? Is JPEG HDR a substitute for shoot- shooting bracketing RAW or stitching them together in post? Or is it meant for something else entirely? They use a Canon R5. Yeah. This was a little bit tricky, you know, because when people say JPEG HDR, does that mean that they're taking multiple JPEGs I at think various it, exposures? Maybe, but also shooting an HDR photo. I th- I'm, like guessing, I'm guessing this is in-camera HDR processing, yes. where you just, just, meaning that it is just doing the tone mapping that you would otherwise do in software. And I would absolutely recommend doing the software do it in post. You're going to get much better results shooting raw HDR and processing it in Lightroom or whatever it is that you use. It's going to, it's going to look better. You'll have way more flexibility. Uh, I'd never do it in camera. Even a tone map JPEG in camera versus a single raw, like the raw is still going to be a better way. To <laughs> yeah, no, actually. So there's so often I'll shoot a bracket of raws. And I'm like, okay, and then I can save what's outside the window. Then I bring in the raw and I'm like, oh, it's there. Like I just yeah. needed to take the highlight <laughs> slider. <laughs> but, you know, as an addendum to that, because they are shooting hotels, you know, architectural kind of stuff, tripod work, real estate, 
yeah, it totally makes sense to do multiple photos. Like that's like old school HDR. I would do those in raw, not JPEG necessarily. You do multiple raws stitching together afterwards. That is going to be superior to editing one raw file. Obviously, it makes a lot of sense for real estate. But uh, in camera, yeah, I would I would stick with just one raw file. All right. Good job. Quick answer. Like it. Very definitive too. No arguments. Uh, we So <laughs> this is interesting. We've gotten multiple Logans and also <laughs> a Logan repeated in our SpeakPipe oh, wow. backlog. This is one of the Logans and they have a question <laughs> for Chris specifically. Here we go. Hey guys. So a while back, Chris did a video with Gordon Lang where they talked about old cameras that had really unique or really weird body designs. And one of the things they mentioned in that video is how in the last several years, the way that camera bodies are designed has remained pretty stagnant. It's kind of like everyone settled on one design and stuck with it. Other than small differences in ergonomics and control layouts, pretty much all cameras these days look the same from a design standpoint. So if you guys could make any big changes to how camera bodies are designed, what would those changes be? I just feel like with all the innovations we're seeing in camera technology lately, it would be interesting to see a company really thinking outside the box and taking a totally new approach to how they design their bodies. Or do you think body designs have stayed the same for so long because it just works and it doesn't need to be changed? All right. Thank you for listening. Huge fan of the show. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, I, th I feel like the classic traditional camera design we got to remember largely it had to house a film cartridge in a way that could then hold it perpendicular to the path of light. So, you know, there's a design limitation there. And then we talked with Gordon about when digital cameras came onto the market and that was no longer the case and you could radically change the designs. You know, the, the, 90s and early 2000s was just this like Frankenstein experiment of camera designs, everybody throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick. And it's interesting that that's all largely gone away, right? We've all returned back to just a regular camera design because it works. Little DSLRs. And, <laughs> yeah, the classic DSLR, the mirrorless, basically copying that design because I think it works. And and I, I think it is a case of just it's stagnant, but it's because it's the best way to do it. And, you know, we talked a bit about like Sigma tried to experiment. Have you tried those, Tyler, the Sigma Quattros and the where they not, went I've weird with the handle now. design? No, I like that they tried, but I didn't try them. Oh, they were terrible to hold. Honestly, they, it yeah. was it was a bad idea. One of my favorite quotes you ever had on our show is back in the camera store days. You described the Quattro as holding a sea urchin tightly, which I <laughs> think is perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Without a tasty center. It was rough. Yeah. It's a good take. So, so I don't know. Why. Like, you know, you, <laughs> you always wonder. I mean, in, in my brain, I'm always like, oh, could you make like cool thumbhole stock designs? Or, you know, like with video cameras, we've got rotating grips where your hand goes all around it and stuff. But it takes up too much space, which isn't a, a deal on a, on a video camera. But when you're trying to put it in a camera bag, it's just not practical. What I mean, what do you think? I, I have strong opinions about camera design. Um, mine is mostly that I think everything went wrong around the nineties. Everything started looking worse and that's what cameras still look like now is like boring and like shoes or like SUVs. And yeah. I much prefer one deck, like basically seventies and earlier that it last, the, the design of cameras was similar for like 50 or 60 years. It was more stable for a longer period. It got weird in the nineties and we're still kind of living in that until, <laughs> you know, Fuji started this like retro thing that I'm like, to me, that's not so much retro. It's like, that was the more proven design. And I, and I prefer things like taking off the, the 
putting like the way that the EVF is like on top with a bump, I would love to see that go away and generally flatten cameras for packability, not, mm. not mm. for looks, but because once it goes into your bag, I want it to be the same. Mm. If it's symmetrical, it just fits more places. Having yeah. a bump anywhere means you're like wasting. It's like dead space on either side of that bump, which is one thing I really liked about like using the Leica as well. So I think there's still room. There's room for innovation that to me is things we already figured out 30 years ago. (laughs) I miss the classiness because there was a period there in the the mid 2000s where camera companies were kind of experimenting with like nice walnut handles and beautiful titanium finishes. And with the Stella and Luna? Yeah, like the Stellar and well, one of those was garbage. Whatever had the garnet button. They both were. They were both terrible. But but I mean, there there I were like compact. The what the was stellar. the what was the Sony R one? Um, that was the Stellar, the Stellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah with the, just, the but, baby, the RX one hundred with the yeah, the RX one hundred. Right? That yeah. one was gorgeous. The stellar was great. I mean, the Luna was cool, a monstrosity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Lunar was terrible. But you know, it's like I miss the classy designs. I miss the you know when companies would have varying looks to their cameras and and try a lot of different stuffs. People like Tyler, like you say, it's kind of become stagnant and it either seems to be now modern or retro. That's like, mm-hmm. those are like the two dichotomies that we play with nowadays. And uh, yeah, I've made this point on the podcast before, but I think it should be on our merch. Jaron is for some reason, camera companies don't think that photographers care about aesthetics, even though we're in the visual arts and that's silly <laughs> and dumb and like, a, and um, Fuji have proven otherwise. Yeah. Go ahead. There's one. And like Nikon. That. Nikon, I thought, I mean, I personally think the ZFC is still gorgeous because it, it pulls at my heartstrings, right? And I think there's a market there. There, there. That, along with the fact that camera warranties are probably among the worst of the most expensive stuff you can buy. Your warranty is really bad. Those are another thing I wanted to talk about for a while, but we'll do that on another episode. We'll instead <laughs> move on to an email from David Ivanyuk, who asks, hello, this is David. I've been trying to figure out what's the real difference between 420 and 422. There are videos I have, and I have a shallow understanding of it but does it actually make a difference thank you and i think it's really good that we have tyler here we got two major video boys and then and chris who is also quite a video man and then me who can't really express his thoughts well so tyler jordan chris go <laughs> you want to go first tyler i wonder if we'll all end up with similar takes or not i'm so curious um i think in the practical world for most people most of the time 420 will look exactly the same you won't perceive a difference almost ever I've watched all those same videos, but like, what is the difference? And, you know, my, my understanding of it is like, well, if you're going to be doing VFX, if you're going to be doing compositing, you need to remove the background, isolate colors, then 422 will have some additional, inf- you know, information that you could theoretically reach into. And in practice, it doesn't, <laughs> you don't see it very often, even when I'm like pushing <laughs> for it. So I, it's one of those, like, I always know the spec difference is there. I'll use 422 just because I'm supposed to. And it's like, it's just hard to perceive it, except sort of in specialty cases. Um, but it doesn't really add a lot to file size typically from the codecs yeah. that I use. So I, I, I just go with the higher one. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to touch on something we mentioned earlier, which is like we were working with log files back when we shouldn't. And the big thing I want to touch on is there's a colossal difference between an 8-bit 420 and a 10-bit. Yeah, that was the, yeah. that's what mattered. That was the world changing. Yeah. Um, So essentially, to explain it, it's just how much color information is going along with your luminance information. Like if you're reading a row out to figure out the exposure, which is primarily what you want, how many little bits of color information are in between? It's less with 420. And like Tyler said, if you're just looking at the two side by side, 
you're not going to see much of a difference. It's when you're really pushing things. Um, in 8-bit, the image would fall apart almost immediately if it was a 420 image. 10-bit, you've got a lot more color information, so it's less prone to that. There are some 420 cameras that have really nice picture quality, like the um, open gate recording on the Lumixes is 420. And I don't find a huge difference when I'm grading that from 422. Mm. Um, but if you want the absolute most, you've got huge contrast, or like Tyler said, if you're keying, Always 422, 100% uh, is what I'm looking at. But if you're going to just shoot like a regular profile and put it in your video, 420 is fantastic. That's all you need. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would add to that is because I'm a cheapskate and I use DaVinci Resolve free, I can't edit 10-bit uh, video, right? So I'm shooting primarily 8-bit video for that 420 color spaces. And I guess the thing I would say about I mean, quality is fine, but I would say... Although proper exposure technique is always important, I do find 8-bit 4.2 video to be quite unforgiving. Like yes. if you if you screw up your exposure and you blow your highlights, like they're gonzo, right? And with log, it's the same thing, but you have the ability to push those highlights up high in your exposure, not worry about the shadows. With 4.2 8-bit, I find that I'm constantly having to keep my exposures darker than I might think they should be. And then boosting up those shadows afterwards, I do get noise, it, you know... From from a technical standpoint, I got to really be careful with my highlights, and I'm not going to get the same dynamic range, and that's fine for my output. But I, I would only say that's something to watch for. If you shoot no ten notes. bit, if you shoot ten bit and bake in a LUT, you can get that same quality in your final eight bit uh, eight bit file. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Next one is a speak pipe from Dylan Jugrup. Let's listen in. Hi guys, I'm just planning my first film. And I'm um, having to do my schedule and um, planning all the days of filming, something I've never done before. I've just started a new course. And um, going on your expertise, I'm just wondering how many scenes. Um, I'm just looking at the indoor scenes of one house at the moment. And I'm just wondering how many scenes I could possibly get filmed in one day, approximately. <laughs> I'll let you go on this, Jordan, but that depends on how much crew oh, you have. The variables here are nuts. Oh. I mean, uh, Panic Room from David Fincher shot for like half a year, and that takes place in <laughs> one room, largely in a house. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's how big is your crew? How complicated are your shots? You know, you can move through dialogue scenes quite quickly, you know, if you're doing shot reverse and a little bit of coverage there. Um, you know, if your blocking is dynamic, um, you can need more. It really depends on your directing style, to be totally honest. Um, you know, the old rule is on like an independent film where you're, you have to move quickly and you have less crew, uh, two pages of the script a day, but it depends what's contained in those. I and mean, it, it's really hard to give you a firm answer. I would recommend talking to an experienced producer. If you're going to be like, putting people's time and your money on the line to make a film, talk to a producer, have them read the script and let them give you an estimate of yeah. how long this whole script is going to do. Cause different pages are going to take different amounts of time. I haven't shot a f narrative film before, but just based on my commercial work, I'd also suggest taking a day where it's just you and a couple friends shoot it all on your phone and mm. just get a sense, and especially for blocking, and you can do rough edit and previs, and like there's a lot of reasons that it's useful, mm -hmm. but it'll give you a sense of scale of like what's di where are the challenges, where are the pitfalls that we haven't thought about yet, and you know don't set up any lights, just like 
put the camera roughly where it's going to be and, and figure everything out ahead of time. And you might discover some unforeseen problems. Yeah. You know, what's cool is um, probably one of the greatest directors ever Spielberg. That's how he directed West side story. Probably the best directed camera movement in the last five years is he just did rehearsals and walked around with an iPhone. And apparently what he shot in the iPhone and edited with iMovie is very similar to the final film, which see is it. nuts. Oh, dude, it's unbelievable. Can you Let's see Let's talk it? about West Side Story. Don't get him started. No, no, no. Where can you see that? Can you see the iPhone video somewhere? Oh, <laughs> there was a smidgen in the BTS. I don't think it's oh, actually okay. available. Oh, I would, I would love to see that. You know, depending on the only other thing I'd add is like, if you have competent people to help you out that can do a role of like an assistant director who can wrangle all of your staff, who can, you know, relay your instructions to people so that they're working and they're getting managed while you're planning out your next stop. If you have somebody who's going to be doing the lighting for you, as opposed to you having to do all that yourself, I mean, really it's going to come down to how much are you going to micromanage yourself? Yeah. That's going to slow things down if you're doing it by yourself. And if you have people that can help you out to manage all your crew properly, that can really speed things up. All right. Uh, there's still more. I have moved them to next week where we have an, ex an episode where it is just us answering all these questions. Uh, okay. Instead, we're moving on to never read the comments where we make sure to always read the comments. And one on Petapixel by Aeth, A-E-T-H, uh, regarding your last video, I'm surprised that the 4K pixel binning mode reduces low light performance. Shouldn't you get better performance by averaging noise across multiple pixels? So you do, it's better than line skipping for sure, where you're just throwing information away. However, if you read out every pixel, you're creating a larger than necessary image. This is what we call oversampled or super sampled video. Uh, you will have less visible noise in that compared to when you're binning, which is basically like having not really larger pixels, um, but you're splitting the difference. It's like you're getting more than you need to output 4K, but less than you would if you're reading out the entire sensor. And it does throw away a lot of your big sensor advantages when you're doing that. Uh, so yes, detail will drop and low light performance accordingly will. Uh, it's really nice if you go on the old DP Review studio scene, they have video samples and you can compare um, you're subsampled from your oversampled video clips from the same camera. Like the R5 is a great example, Tyler, where you could do oversampled and it would overheat and annoy you um, with the early firmware. Mm -hmm. Or you could go subsampled, less rolling shutter, but you would get a hit in detail and noise performance. So you can see it practically there. Um, just specifically looking at the image out of the GFX 100, shooting at base ISO with F-Log, there was still a fair amount of noise in the shadows where if you look at it in stills mode, those are the cleanest shadows of any sensor that you can get right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next one is actually two questions that are sort of the same. Uh, El Greco de Geek asks, <laughs> I'm curious at what point did you guys stop using the D Z9 to record video and why? In addition to that, Chris Moore 904 asks, thank you for always doing great videos. Why do you use the G92 versus the S52? Ooh, I guess these are both for me. Those are for uh, you. Yeah. Uh, I've only recorded sparingly on the Z9. It's actually the Z8, which I really enjoyed shooting videos with. That's a great camera. Uh, we don't have really a full lens lineup for that. We just have a 24-120. Um, and at some point, Nikon's going to ask for that back. God help us. Um, <laughs> I, I do love using that camera. But the biggest thing for me is glass. And that's why I keep going back to um, micro four thirds. They have the 10 to 25, 25 to 50. I think you have one of those now, don't you, Tyler? Yeah, I haven't reviewed the G92 yet. I just want to throw in that it's like the best overhead camera 
in the world right now. <laughs> like if you need something to look down on your table, more is in focus, lots of depth of field, good autofocus, great lens selection. It's very lightweight, so it fits up there. Everything about it. I'm like, for YouTubers, anybody that needs to do top downs, G92. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I really love it. Uh, the big reason I choose it over the S5 II, which uh, the 2X is what I've been using, which is great, but uh, and has some excellent video lenses. They're 2470, uh, has a focus clutch, which I really like and really well breathing corrected, is there's just nothing comparable to those 1.7 zooms where you're getting a stepless iris, a mechanical focus clutch. So manual focus is really easy. And especially now that we've got the new phase detect autofocus, I'm juggling constantly between like, flip the switch on. If I'm doing face detect, it's actually quite reliable with a single person. And then if I want to film the camera, just flip it over to manual focus and pull focus that way. It's been great for how I'm working. Uh, So that's why those have been uh, my top picks right now. The other big reason that I don't love using the S5 2X is I hate a crop when I switch to slow-mo, especially with the S5 2X. I love those little 1.8 primes Panasonic makes and recomposing when I want to just quickly grab a 4K 60 frame or something is super annoying, where on the G9 II, I can go up to 120, uh, 4K 120 with no crop and still oversampled video. It's awesome just not to have that quality hit when I want to do slow motion. I'll just second that. That's the biggest problem with the S5 II. And the main reason I'm really looking forward to Lumix to do whatever the sequel to the S1H will be. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like the, having the big boy in the Lumix lineup, I mean, that's going to give Sony a run for their money. Yeah. Um, this is also probably going to be a Jordan question, but, uh, L four get 42 or is that, that might be an I asks, hi, Chris and Jordan fun. As always, this is related to your Sony review. I know it's a Sony review, but I spent the whole time watching and rewatching for the autofocus and low light performance of the G nine two. It seemed like there was one time when the camera kept getting distracted by Chris's hand when it came to the frame, but the night shot was rock solid Were there different autofocus modes or manual focus at night. Uh, That's exactly what it is. Uh, If it's low light, I manually focus with those cameras. I do find the autofocus takes a little bit of a hit in those situations. And yeah, I'd say in general, the face detect autofocus, like I said, especially with the single source is very good on the Lumix cameras. But if you get animated and start doing some of this, I mean, I don't know if it's going to lose me right now. I'm on an S5 II. Uh, but yes, it does get confused and you totally could see that in that episode. Usually I would cover that up with coverage, but I cut that episode in 24 hours and it is an (laughs) 18 minute video. So it is rough around the edges. I think, uh, if you see any slightly lower production value than usual, that's because I time equals production value. If any Lumix designers watch this show, can I just beg them to add face only auto focus, the same as Canon does, where it's like, I don't care about anything except for faces, because that's kind of like all I use a lot of the time. Every camera needs that. Cool. All right. This one is more like just a pat on the back here from Screen Fiends. I'll take it. I've never owned, used, or even touched a Pentax camera, but I am over the moon that you guys cover brands outside of the big three. There is an integrity to that that goes beyond chasing numbers and trends that most other reviewers could only dream of. Huge, huge respect. You're damn right. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I want to point out in the the next few weeks, we have two very niche camera brands that you typically don't see getting reviewed and we're going to be reviewing them and you're going to be loving them. So stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, this one, next one is from mod films, Cairns mod film, Cairn. It's, it's, it's either I can't, I, I, I tried my best there. They told me 
I really enjoy how non-camera biased Chris and Jordan are and always have been. Jaren, you could really learn a lot from these guys. <laughs> you come across as very anti-Sony. You don't want to piss off 25% of your listeners. It's funny because I also get that I'm anti-Nikon, anti-OM, anti-Panasonic, uh, anti-Canon, despite the fact that I've always said I like Canon and also Panasonic. <laughs> I've been told that I am anti-everyone. And I'm going to quote right. Joe Buck. Joe Buck, the announcer who was once at Fox and now ESPN, in his Twitter bio years ago, he said, I love every team except yours. And that is the sign of someone who is trying their best to hold everyone to the same standard, regardless of how they actually feel. I don't I, hate <laughs> any camera. I don't have any strong opinions that direction. My job is to just ask questions and make sure that we've covered things wholly. So yeah. if you don't, if you think I hate them, I think I'm doing my job correctly. I would also say that the one of the the hallmarks of being non biased uh, with an opinion is that you're willing to piss off 25% of of uh, listeners. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. For an example of that, look at the comments on our GFX 100 Mark II. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so last couple things here. Uh, deep di- deep sea diver. 8191. By the way, uh, that does remind me, we got plenty of answers as to why there are lots of numbers at the ends of their names. YouTube is yes. adding those. That's yeah, not, that's there true. are not 8,191 deep sea divers, Chris. There um, probably are. Let's be fair. There's probably I mean, historically, there certainly have been. Okay. There's a lot of deep All right. sea divers. Okay. What would it take to have Jordan as the main character in a feature length movie? That is a legitimate question we received. So my question for this is, is it Jordan Drake as I am now, or am I an actor in a feature length <laughs> film? Because I am not compelling. I don't know how we've managed to like stretch me talking for over an hour every week into a thing people watch and listen to. Um, so I wouldn't watch that movie specifically. That, um, yeah, that but movie if you want me like? to be the lead in a motion picture, um, sure. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Drake that. is played by yeah. Chris Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll play I will Jordan. do the Chris Nichols biopic, and I will play Chris Nichols doing nothing but wear a wig. And oh man, I'm in on that. I will write that screenplay. Oh man, Hell, I'll I'll take full. I'll Mel Gibson that thing. I will <laughs> I write. I will direct. I will star. <laughs> you doing Nichols like a quirky, like soon. Stranger Than Fiction kind of movie, you know, or like oh, a mumblecore film. I could see you in that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to close us out here, I have three comments, and they are a perfect exemplification of why I try and do certain things. Uh, Synonymous and What Remains said. You can run the episodes longer, and Jaron, for the love of God, stop worrying about the length of the podcast. And in contrast, <laughs> Cam7P3 says, life is too short to listen to three buddies entertain each other while, me- while metering out limited amount of useful information. So, I'm going to take the average of this and continue to hold our podcast <laughs> to a certain go. length. Despite Life the fact is that- not too short to make comments uh, <laughs> on uh, podcasts. So, the reason being is you may like long podcasts, but not everyone does. And also, you know... This is just the length we decided on. We don't have infinite time. And Tyler, already- what's the perfect what's the perfect podcast length? Four hours. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I aim for one hour on mine. It's just yeah, we're, we're way over today. I know we're going to be at the, <laughs> the one at the one twenty mark, but you know, just just to appease synonymous and what remains, I will just let this go. I will not sound rushed or anything. But uh, yeah, don't worry about Cam Seven P Three. Doesn't have time to write any more comments uh, negative ways. Yeah, so <laughs> I, it doesn't bother me. It's life's fine. too short. Um, 
Tyler, thanks for joining us today. Sorry Absolutely. for ruining your camera setup by asking you to push one one. one. <laughs> we'll fix it after we hang up. <laughs> uh, thanks again to OM System for sponsoring the Petapixel podcast. We appreciate it. And uh, we're going to take a uh, Thanksgiving break here uh, on Petapixel. Uh, what? That doesn't change Thanksgiving anything. was weeks ago. Yeah, okay. American Thanksgiving. That doesn't change oh. anything about our publication schedule, actually. We won't really notice a, a break until Christmas, uh, that holiday season. But... Uh, yeah, I've got my fireplace. This was the last week of the fireplace, I think, until Christmas. And then after, after that, we'll, we'll go back. But uh, thanks thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thanks, thanks Tyler. For being here. And yeah, guys, here. that was great. Glad I, I do want to say, uh, check out Tyler's YouTube. Um, there's a lot of good stuff, as he's mentioned earlier. But definitely check out the podcast. Uh, it yeah. is one of the only like photo, video related podcasts that I tune in every week even if i don't care about the subject uh, even if he doesn't I even listen to our own podcast yeah <laughs> i will put a link to the description uh, to his youtube channel and podcast below the like button which you should absolutely be clicking thanks everyone we'll catch you next week bye, bye.